Well, before we begin our Torah study, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. I have found that hope makes a huge difference in life. And so in these days, I'm asking the Lord to pour out hope on me. And I'm asking him to pour out hope on you because we definitely need hope. We need courage. We need faith. We need this for ourselves, but we also need it so that we can share with other people who find themselves hopeless or in despair or in trouble or afraid. I like to say, you can't give it away if you don't have it. So you can't help others be hopeful unless you yourself have hope. So I decided to use Hanukkah to build courage and to build hope and to build faith because I think that the celebration of Hanukkah especially the public celebration of Hanukkah, can help us spread hope to other people during these dark times especially. And what we began at Hanukkah, we're continuing during these days and these weeks when we're reading more about the life of Joseph. And we're continuing as we come to Christmas time. Now, I've been in a lot of Messianic congregations who are afraid to pronounce the word Christmas. And for, for some of those who are afraid, I can give you another way of saying it, Christmas. <laughs> I think a lot of Jewish people, a lot of Messianic Jews have mixed feelings about Christmas, but I think it's good for us to stay focused on how God wants to use this season for good. And I remember learning something because years ago I was going to a small gym with a Russian trainer and we were working out and most of his uh, clients, like me, were Jewish. And he told a number of them that I was a Messianic rabbi. And so that stirred a few interesting conversations. And one of them was with a doctor, a Jewish doctor, who, who came to me and he said, Christmas is my favorite time of the year. And so I said, why? And he said, because it's the one time of the year when people try to be nice. <laughs> and then he said, and I like the decorations too. So that was his attitude, and I thought, it was an interesting attitude. And then he told me that he knew a Messianic Jew somewhere. And, you know, I felt like he, we were having one of those token conversations. You know, I'm not this, but I've got a friend who is. And I know someone who is. Do you know what that's like if, if you've ever been a minority anywhere? And someone wants to make you feel okay? It's like... I have a black friend. I have a Hispanic friend. I have a Jewish friend. 
It's, it can be like that. Well, I, I'm not always cynical. Sometimes I like to look at the positive side, and this is one of those times. I think it's amazing when the whole world is caught in this argument, do the Jewish people have any historical right and presence in the land of Israel? It's amazing to me that a large portion of the world is going to be singing songs in a few days about how the Jewish Messiah was born in the Jewish homeland and came to the Jewish people as a Jew in the land of Israel. And then some of those same people are going to be wondering, do the Jews have any history in the land? So let's use the reality for good. I want to share with you two incredible stories that touch me every time I read them and I think about them. And I like to read especially the stories in the scriptures because I think they have a particularly positive effect on my emotions. And they also have an effect on how I think. And they have an effect on my spirit as well. They touch every part of me. And I like to read these stories in the scriptures every year because I find that they're fresh every year. You know, there are certain foods you eat at certain times of the year, and you're happy for them, and you like them. And in fact, sometimes I'll eat holiday foods and think, we should eat this more often. We had some great matzo ball soup recently, and I thought, matzo balls are not just for Pesach. They can be eaten at any time. And latkes. Mm. We made some really good latkes this year. I mean, the best maybe we've made. But those should not be eaten regularly. <laughs> In the same way, I think when we read certain stories and certain parts of the scriptures, they can become powerful and comforting and useful to us. And because the scriptures are alive, they can bring something new to us that we haven't ever seen. There are times when you read a scripture and you know you've read it 10 times, or you know you've read it 40 times or more. And at that moment, something new touches you. How many of you have had that kind of experience? It's because the scriptures are alive and they speak to us with life. And so I, I enjoy reading again and again good stories, and maybe that's the child in me. Because all of us know that when you read one of your little children or grandchildren a story they love, as soon as you finish it, what do they say? Do it again, right, read it again. And how many parents have tried to put their kids to sleep reading stories, and they've read the same story again and again, and they fall asleep before the child does? Good stories in the scriptures are powerful. And so I like reading them, and I also like the stories that we're going to look at today, two particular stories, because they show me 
that God works in secret. God is doing things that other people don't know about, and then suddenly it becomes open to others. But it turns out when the Lord is working in secret, he's often working through people who have been so close and tender towards him that they know what's going on, even though no one else does. So I love the idea that God is at work because it builds up expectation in me and it builds up anticipation in me and that affects me deeply. That's part of the great pleasure of the life of faith, to anticipate and to expect. And I can tell you that my prayers are different when I'm expectant, when I'm anticipating. And so this is what I hope. I, I want to stir up in you the same good things. And I want, I hope, that you'll be able to stir up in other people good as well. So the first story is from the Brita It's the story of Simeon and one-month-old Yeshua. But there will be certain moments when I'm going to call him baby Jesus. And there's a reason. That's an affectionate term for a lot of folk. And there are a lot of songs and a lot of things about him. But it turns out that this story is a powerful Jewish story. It's in the Gospel of Luke. It's a story about an old Jewish man who lives in Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit and the baby Yeshua baby Jesus. It's in Luke chapter 2, so why don't you turn there and get ready to follow along with me. We're going to read 16 or so verses, so I want you to be able to follow with me. One day, this, this old man had an unusual experience with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God was moving him. You could say the Spirit of God was drawing him to go to the Jerusalem temple. And so you could say that this was Yom HaMashiach, the day of Messiah, for this man. And we'll read in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 22. Luke 2, 22. When the time came for the purification rites required by the Torah of Moses, Joseph and Miriam took their son, Yeshua, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it's written in the Torah of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. That is Pidyon Haben. It's done on the 30th day. And right before this passage, there's some additional information that Yeshua was circumcised. Brit Milah was given to him on the eighth day because that is the day that is the day for Brit Milah for Jewish boys, according to the scriptures. And so Yeshua was circumcised as a Jewish baby on the eighth day. And then now it's the 30th day, and, and the parents have come to Jerusalem. 
and they are consecrating him. In verse 24, and they're offering a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the Torah, the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. And just to take note of a detail, there were several sacrifices that could be made for Pidyon Haben. And these are two that were identified for those who didn't have a lot of money. And for those who had more money, there, was, there were uh, larger animals that could be sacrificed. So it gives us an idea that maybe the family just didn't have a lot of money. Verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. His Hebrew name would have been Shimon. Let's say that together, Shimon. Like the name Shimon Perez, as an example. Shimon was righteous, he was devout, he was waiting for the consolation of, the Holy, of, of Israel, and, and take note of this, it's very important, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, there are some well-intended, spirit-filled believers these days who think the Holy Spirit was given whenever, but they don't recognize that the Holy Spirit has been working since the creation of the world. In Genesis 1-2, the Spirit of God, the Ruach HaKodesh, was hovering over the face of the earth. So in this case, the Holy Spirit was upon him. So he was a righteous and a devout Jew. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Verse 26, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. I really like that because there are many times when the Holy Spirit will reveal something to us and we may not even realize it was the Holy Spirit who was at work. But in this case, the scriptures are telling us that Shimon received revelation from the Holy Spirit and he knew it and it was clear and God wants us to know it was by the Spirit of God. So it's not that he read the Jerusalem Post. It's not that he was following the news of the day. It's, it's not that someone else told him the Spirit of God revealed this to him. I find that fascinating. So he was moved by the Spirit, and he went into the temple courts and when the parents brought in their child, Yeshua, to do for him what the customs of Torah required, Shimon took baby Yeshua, took baby Jesus in his arms, and began to praise the Lord. So think about this. The Spirit of God is telling Shimon, go to the temple. And he goes there, and he sees Pidyona Ben, which, which is a normal... It's, it's a normal time of consecrating a firstborn son. There's nothing extraordinary about that, and yet it is extraordinary. It's extraordinary, and he's there because not only did the Spirit of God reveal to him to go, but he went. Sometimes people get revelation, but they don't do anything with it. And they marvel in the revelation, and yet they don't act on what's been revealed. And we have to learn how to bring our hearts and our minds and our spirits and our calendar 
to the Lord and to love God with all that we have and all that we are. And that's what Shimon was doing. He was in love with the Lord. He was moved by the Spirit of God. He was a man of righteousness. He was devoted to the Lord. And he sees this little baby, and he takes him in his arms, and he praises God. And when he's praising God, he says something that is also connected to the revelation. He says, Sovereign Lord, as you promised, you may dismiss your servant in peace. Now, there was a verse I skipped. It's in verse 26. I want you to take note of this. It says, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So this is a very important detail. He was carrying this in his heart. It was on his mind. It affected how he felt. It affected how he thought. It affected how he prayed because when you have revelation from God that really gets a hold of you, it touches all those things. It's not that you just know about something. It's that it changes what you know about everything. And that was the case for Shimon. The Holy Spirit had revealed to him and had given him such assurance that he knew this, his life would not come to an end until he saw the Lord's Messiah, until he saw him with his own eyes. And so it's with that in his heart and that in, in his mind and that in his will and that really is a matter of resolve for him that he's moved by the Holy Spirit. And this tells us something. I want to see if I can explain this. When you receive things from the Lord that are revelatory, when you receive understanding and it has an impact on your vision, it's important to be a curator, let's say a caretaker of that. It's important to hold on to the Word. It's important to know what God has done so that you can mull it over and meditate on it because there may be times of waiting, just as an example, when you will need to depend on what God has shown to you in order to sustain you. And I think that was the case for Shimon. He was holding on. And remember what the circumstances are in Jerusalem. It's not an easy time. There's Roman occupation. There is division among the Jewish people. There's polarization and fragmentation. There is uh, a sectarianism, you could call it. The Jewish people were divided into different camps. And there were many Jews who recognized that the temple system had been corrupted and that the priests were corrupted. They were collaborators with Rome. They were often people who paid money in order to get their positions. They, they were not the best representatives of the Lord. And so there were some Jews, like the Essenes as an example, who thought there is no sense in going to temple anymore. Let's withdraw 
and they were waiting for the anointed one to come, but they wanted nothing to do with the temple because they didn't think that God would do anything in the temple. But Shimon didn't fall into that category. He was stirred by the Lord, and the Lord was saying to him, today's the day. Now's the time. And what did he do? He went to the temple. It's a beautiful example. And he sees this little baby, and he knows who he is. That is what's so remarkable. He picks up the baby, and he's praising the Lord. And he says, Sovereign Lord, as you promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. In other words, I'm ready. I'm ready now. You promised me that I would see your anointed one, your Mashiach. And here he is. Here he is. And so you can take me now. And then he says these words, for my eyes have seen your salvation. And he's, he was saying it this way, my eyes have seen Yeshua Techa. Can you imagine being the parents and you've named your boy Yeshua because the angel had come and said, name him Yeshua. By the way, didn't, he didn't say name him Jesus. But it's easy to understand the derivation from Yeshua to Jesus. But he didn't say name him that, name him Yeshua because he will save his people. And so now this, this old Jewish guy is coming in and he picks up the baby and he's praising God and he says, I've seen your Yeshua. And the parents, I imagine, you're like, how did he know? My eyes have seen your salvation, Yeshua Techa, which you prepared in the sight of all nations, light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And so this is also an amazing thing because in the revelation of Messiah, Shimon also has another revelation, and that is Mashiach is for the Jewish people. But not only for the Jewish people, but also to open the eyes of all the nations of the world. So he, he's not exclusively for the Jewish people. Do you get that? Verse 33, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him, and then Shimon blessed them and said to Miriam, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So there's a blessing, but there's also some sorrow associated with all this. Battles and blessings, we've been talking about that. Second part of the story. There was also a prophetess. Her name was Anna, in Hebrew, Hannah. She was the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. That's interesting for everyone who thinks that the Jews in that time had no idea what tribe they were a part of. There were quite a few that did. Paul knew he was of Benjamin. Hannah knew she was of Asher. 
She was very old. How old was she? Very old, right. Let's read. She had lived with her husband seven years after they were married and then was a widow until she was 84. There are even some people who, who read it this way. And then she was a widow for 84 more years. So whenever she got married, plus the seven years of marriage, however long that was, and then 84. So that put her in the hundred something. I'm going with 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying, coming up to them at that very moment. When did she come? At that very moment. That's right. She gave thanks to God. And she spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. The redemption of Jerusalem. What that meant is the, the buying of freedom, the paying the ransom price, paying the freedom so that Jerusalem could be free again. It was now under Roman authority, not just. It was also under a kind of Jewish authority that wasn't always wholehearted and godly. So Shimon came because he was looking for someone, not just something. He was looking for someone who he knew would change everything. And Shimon and Hannah were looking for someone who would change everything. Everything for them and everything for Jerusalem and everything for history. And they found him. That's what's so beautiful. They were actually brought to him. This is what I find amazing. And this is how God works. When you get something in your heart from the Lord and you're loving him, with all your heart. When you get something in your heart and it's in there and it's got a hold of all your heart, then you can be led by the Lord to the right places at the right times. And so they found him. They found him not because they were doing an exhaustive search for him, but because the Lord had promised and knew he was going to use them and he could easily bring them. But I tell you, it's not easy to get into that position of wholeheartedness. But they were there. And I think that just knowing that he was coming had changed them so much. They had what I like to call a Kadima attitude. Kadima means forward. They could see ahead. They could move forward. And I think that you're demonstrating how powerful anticipation is, the power of hope. And there are two ways of understanding hope. I'll tell you a very common way. You express something you wish would happen, and somebody else says, well, I hope so. Like you've got a wish, and they doubt your wish is going to come true. That's one way. There's another kind of hope that is more genuine and powerful, and it is the anticipation of good. It's a hope that's connected to our faith 
they have substantial connections between them. They support each other. And I think these two old folks were filled with hope. And it shows us the power that hope has. And hopeless people are in the wrong place all the time. But they had the positive expectation of good. You could say that in their hearts they were thinking, my Redeemer is coming. My Redeemer is coming. But here's what's so amazing. Now he's here. You know, it's one thing to say he's coming. It's another thing. Oh my, he's here. And what eyes they had, what spiritual eyes they had, they... they recognize something it's hard to fully understand. Let's, let's just acknowledge that. There can be things that you know in the Spirit, but you can't fully explain even to yourself. It's difficult to describe what you know or how you know it or the implications of it to other people or even to think about it clearly for yourself. But I can tell you that just being there with Yeshua changed them, and he was just a baby. He was just a baby boy. He was just one month old. And it's amazing that they knew who he was. They knew that God had been working in secret, and they knew they weren't waiting in vain. That's the nature of revelation that you take to heart and you trust God about. You know that you know that you know. So they weren't waiting in vain. They saw this little baby boy, and it brought everything together for them. And I think it's just such a great story. And I love this detail about Hannah. When she saw Yeshua, she began to rejoice, and she was telling everyone who was looking for the redemption of Israel. So Hannah was fellowshipping with people who were also focused on this. They were praying for the redemption of Israel. Many people had given up hope about that. The Essenes didn't think it could happen in this circumstance. The Zealots thought the, the spiritual hope is, is a misguided hope. And it's going to take armed resistance in order to get the, the liberation of Jerusalem. But Hannah was fellowshipping with people who had in their hearts this expectation that God was going to do something. When you have it in your heart, you may seem like you are in a I was going to say an extremist. That's not a good word to use these days because it's got some other meanings. I don't mean that. When you have something in your heart that is so strong, you may seem out of balance to other people. And yet, you're seeing something that God is wanting to do and it's gotten a hold of you. And so... Hannah was one of those people, but she also knew other people like that. She knew who they were. And so she went to them and she was telling them she was focused in what she was doing. It's not that she was obsessive-compulsive, 
When you talk about focus, some people think about people who are driven because they're obsessive and compulsive. But I think it's probably not technically correct, but here's my opinion that obsessive compulsive people are not focused, but rather their attention is taken from them. And they're not free to focus on what they need to focus on. The only thing I... don't, ex- don't think of this as something demeaning about people who struggle with such uh, things. But I, I think of one of my dogs, Simcha, who was a great dog. We loved to take her on walks. She was a wonderful dog. And she could walk with us and do a great job walking and staying in just the right position, a real pleasure, until she saw one of two things, a cat or a squirrel, either one. And it reminds me, there's some cartoon, you know, squirrel, and the the dog just has to run after it. Maybe you know what that is. I don't know the, I can't think of the, the details of it right now. But Simcha was like that. She'd see a squirrel and pew, but she was on a leash, so... So a little bit of a struggle. But she wasn't free at that moment. Her attention was taken from her to that squirrel. And some people are obsessive, but they are not using their strength and their focus deliberately. They're not intentional. And so I was thinking about what was stirring Hannah, what was stirring Shimon, What's in our heart? It's this realization that the time to favor Zion has come. And so we're not trying to convince God of this. He's convinced us of this. And anyone who has that revelation and has taken it seriously has a story to tell about how they came to recognize what God was doing. Second story. Boy, I barely have time for the second story. I'm going to run through it faster than I thought. It's, it's the story about another Joseph, the first Joseph. It's in the Torah reading for the Shabbat. Uh, the first Joseph, the patriarch, the son of Jacob. He had been sold by his brothers into slavery, and ultimately he became the prime minister of Egypt. And you can read about the, the time when... His older brother Judah is approaching Joseph, and, and Judah doesn't know who Joseph is, but Joseph knows who Judah is. And they're having conversation about the younger brother and about the father who's still alive and about the grief and sorrow that the father has experienced already because of the loss of his son, Joseph. And all of this is going on, and and. Judah is talking to Joseph not knowing he's Joseph because he's talking to the prime minister of Egypt who has an Egyptian name and is dressed in Egyptian garb and is now, in a sense, part of the king's court. So he's, he's uh, got some royalty and dignity about him. And Joseph and Judah have been communicating through an interpreter. And then verse 45, if I didn't tell you the chapter, it's uh, chapter 44, 
verse 45. So this dialogue is going on, and at this moment, Joseph couldn't control his feelings anymore in front of his attendants, and he cried out in Arabic or Egyptian, get everybody away from me. And so no one else was with him when Joseph revealed to his brothers who he was. Verse 2, he wept out loud. Those are just a few words, but the Hebrew is conveying real weeping. Weeping with a loud voice and with tears flowing. And just to be clear, it's also the kind of weeping that includes uh, a runny, snotty nose dripping. It's that type of emotion, to be clear. And he couldn't hold it in anymore. And then, verse 3 of this next chapter, verse 45, he, um, he starts speaking in Hebrew. And he says, Ani Yosef, I'm Joseph. Is it true that my father is still alive? So he's just been weeping and a mess and threw all the Egyptians out of the room. He's crying so loud, and now he starts speaking in Hebrew to these guys who thought they were talking to an Egyptian. And he says, Ani Yosef. And it says his brothers couldn't answer him because they were so alarmed and they were so terrified in his presence. They were frozen. They couldn't talk, but they could hear. We know that because in verse 4 it says, Joseph said to his brothers, please come closer, and they came closer. So he spoke in Hebrew, and they responded, and he said, Ani Yosef Achichem, such powerful words to them. I am Joseph, your brother. I'm Joseph, your brother. This term of endearment and closeness. But then he has this other phrase, whom you sold into Egypt. And so you could imagine how the pit of their stomach would just be, oh, agonized. I'm Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. And then verse 5, but don't be sad that you sold me into slavery here or angry at yourselves. You did it, but don't focus on that which you did because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. So you did it, but God got his hands on it and he flipped it. You meant it for something because you hated me. You wanted to get rid of me. But God wanted to use me. And then he says, the famine has been over the land for the last two years, and for yet another five years there'll be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me ahead of you to ensure that you will have descendants on earth and to save your lives in a great deliverance. I want you to see something. What was in Joseph's heart was that same re <clears throat> revelation from God that God was wanting to use the people Israel, the Jewish people, to preserve them, to save them, to rescue them through thick and thin, through the worst of circumstances, and even through the longest of 
time and difficulties that lasted way too long. But he had a plan. And that's what Joseph understood his life was all about, to be part of that plan and to be strong in it because God was at work. And so he says in verse 7 or verse 8, so it wasn't you who sent me here. Let me be clear. You did send me here. But it was God who sent me here because he was doing something you weren't doing. And he's made me father to Pharaoh, lord of all his household, and ruler over the whole land of Egypt. Verse 20, in chapter 50, we have to jump ahead. This is the last in this passage. Genesis 50, verse 20. As for you, let's say it that way. As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to save and preserve many people alive. So don't be afraid. I'll provide for you and your little ones. And Joseph comforted them, and he spoke kindly to them. He was not a victim, nor did he become the victimizer. He was holding on to God's redemptive plan. And he knew that even though there had been much grief and much sorrow and much suffering, God was at work. That's the beauty of his story. And so it's important for you and for me to understand we're living in times of difficulty. We are living in times when many of the Jewish people are living in fear and are suffering, many are mourning, those in Israel who have lost loved ones, those who's, uh, who were taken hostage, so much hatred. And it's not limited to those living in the land. There is anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism that, that's rearing its ugly head in ways that are previously unthinkable. It's one of the reasons why today I'm wearing another button this one is a blue square with a pound sign on it. It's, it's a, a symbol for those who are standing up against Jewish hate. And so I'm wearing that to stand up against Jewish hate. How many of you are aware that Jewish hate is standing up and rearing its ugly head? So let's rear our beautiful heads. Let's show that we are here, and God is at work anyway. I'm just going to close with just this recounting. You know, we, we did something that we thought was really innocent and simple. We, we took pictures of our Hanukkahs, various ones of you, took pictures of yours, you sent them to me. We posted them on the Beth Israel Facebook page just as a way of being public in our display of solidarity as, as Jewish people. And to our amazement, as of right now, these pictures and holiday Hanukkah greetings have reached some 400,000 people, which was really surprising. Because typically when I post such pictures myself on my own page, I reach somewhere between 30 and maybe 100 total. 
but this was amazing. But we also got a lot of hateful comments and a lot of vile and even violent and disgusting comments from those who are anti-Semitic and those who are anti-Zionist and anti-Israel and anti-everything good. And so there's a blessing and then there's some suffering. And you know what? It's good not to be overtaken in your mind and in your heart by the negatives. They are real. Don't fool yourself. They are real. However, in this case, the overwhelming number of people were supportive and thankful and positive. We should focus on that. So we should focus on the most who were standing with us, not the few who were standing against us. It's a, it's a reality that needs to get a hold of our hearts so that our hearts can be strong and our faith can be strong so that we can have courage and we can know what to do with that. I could go on for another hour or two because I'm stirred. I've got, there's so much that could be said, but we're not going to use this time beyond for all that can be said. I, I want to encourage you to think about many things that could be said and think about many things that could be said about Messiah and take time to think about how you're going to say them to friends and family. This is not a time to be combative. It's not a time to be hostile. It's a time to be gracious. The favor we're receiving, we can also express to others. Don't get me wrong, there are real enemies out there who cannot be persuaded and given the chance would do great harm as they have to our people. Don't be fooled. I'm, don't, don't think I'm talking about what to do with Hamas. What to do with Hamas? Destroy them. That's what to do. But let us be people who can stand up because we've got revelation and we've got love and we've got courage and we've got hope and we've got faith and we know what God is doing and we want to be a part of it because when that gets a hold of us, the other stuff gets pushed to the side. That's my hope. So I want to just pray, Lord, put your hope in our people, put your courage in our people, put your faith in our people, that we would be faithful as Hannah was, as Shimon was, as Yosef was, to see how you're working in secret, and then to make it known at the right time. We pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen. Thank you all for giving me a little extra time. We're going to close with Aaron's blessing. I want to ask you to stand. I also want to ask those who are participating by live stream or podcast, this is the end of the year for all of us, and I want to encourage you, if you haven't been standing with us financially, this would be a good time, this end of the year time would be a good time to stand with us. You can find all the information on our webpage, bethisraelnow.com giving. You can find how to stand with us. We're going to close now with Aaron's blessing. And Aaron, you're here. You want to bless? You can. 
He's a man of blessing. And aren't you thankful for the work he did on the Torah? He's a man who loves God's Torah. Is it on now? <clears throat> Not yet. Hopefully my voice will hold out. <clears throat> there we go. Um, actually, before I say that blessing, I want to say that working on the scroll was a real pleasure. That was an honor. Um, I did have people, uh, Aaron and Stephen, both said that they wanted to work on it with me. And unfortunately, if you can hear in my voice, I was getting over the cruiser's crud. I'd been gone for a few weeks, and uh, it's like a summer cold, and I didn't want to give it to anybody. But I did... It's okay. It just needs to not be hitting the mic. I did want to get that finished so that we could use it today. And I wish you could see it up closely. Rabbi chose uh, what it would look like, and it's really beautiful. I thought it's, it's simple, but very beautiful. Anyway, with that, I'll go ahead and... If you'll close your eyes and let Aaron's blessing wash over you. <clears throat> May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you, each and every one of you, his peace. <clears throat> Ivarecha Kadunai Vaishmarecha Yaer Adonai Pernavalacha Viachunecha Isa Adonai Adonai Pernavalacha Vayasem lecha shalom. God bless you all. Thank you. Thank you, Cantor. So everyone from Sandy and me and everyone at Beth Israel, Shabbat Shalom.